A biblical response to tyranny, a really interesting subject for us this evening. We've got to first have a look at what kind of objective standard is there for us uh, to judge the purpose and the limits of government. In other words, what do we look at to decide what government should be doing, what are their limits, and what is their purpose? For there to be anybody to uh, get upset with or concerned about things that are happening uh, in the form of tyranny or oppression by the state, one must be able to identify the, ty the tyranny. In other words, what standard needs to be broken for us to be able to look at what's going on and say, this is unacceptable, this is tyranny, and we need to do something about it. In South Africa, it seems that, at least uh, among many of our governing officials, that they believe they have no limitations. They think they're above the law, they can do whatever they want, they can say whatever they want, they can steal whatever they want, and they can just carry on. No one in authority holds his authority autonomously. In other words, you don't stand alone, you are not God. Only God is autonomous. God makes law. We cannot create law out of thin air. And so whoever has any kind of authority in your family, in the church, in government, all that authority is delegated to you from God. It doesn't just exist in a vacuum. So what is the requirement? So what is expected of civil government according to God's word, the Bible? In Romans 13, it tells us that he, the, the civil magistrate, is to reward those who do good and punish those who do evil. Reward those who do good and punish those who do evil. That's all. We're going to speak now about the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. This is a doctrine that's uh, been around for many, many years. And um, the church today, or the body of Christ, just doesn't even know that this doctrine exists at all. So the, the idea of the, ledger, the lesser magistrate doctrine um, is that when there's a superior authority, somebody in higher up in government, and they make an unjust or immoral law, that the lower-ranking civil authority, the one that's lower than the one that made the law, has both the right and a duty to refuse obedience to that superior authority. All right. So if it's immoral law or it's unjust, the lower authorities must not obey that law. They must refuse to obey it. If necessary, they also have the right and an obligation to resist the superior authority. Not to say we're not going to just obey them, but we're going to resist the evil works and the evil intent. In other words, we're not going to just take this lying down. So this whole doctrine of the, the lesser magistrate is based on the, on the idea of interposition. And so this name, or this word I should say, uh, takes place when someone or some group interposes or positions themselves between an oppressor and their intended victim. So there's an oppressor that wants to cause trouble, there's a victim who they want to cause the trouble with, and you interpose by getting in between them and stopping the bad oppressor. 
So when it comes to the whole idea of the interposition of the lesser magistrate, he interposes for the people, he places himself between the unjust laws of the high authority and the people. Gets in between and says, no, we are not going to carry on with this tyranny. So he acts in defense of the rule of law. And this interposition of the lesser magistrate, the one that's taking a stand for righteousness and truth, this slows down God's judgment on nations that have broken his law. When he sees godly people standing up for righteousness and for truth. A tyrant is defined as one who contravenes or breaks the law of God. All right, they assault the people or the property or the freedom of the citizens. It's very interesting, I was speaking to uh, a young man a while back who uh, was involved in terrorism in South Africa before, and he said to me, we spilled our blood to put these people into power, but they are not sharing their freedom with us. That's the first time I heard freedom in this context. This surely isn't talking about the whole idea of liberty um, that the, our great uh, forefathers and the reformers and that spoke about. To them, freedom was the loot, access to jobs or access to uh, finances or access to businesses or capital, uh, which is really interesting. So when we speak to people, we mustn't always presume that their definitions of the words we're using are always the same as ours. So that is a, a little interlude. So the primary duty of the lesser magistrate is threefold. First of all, they must oppose and resist any laws from the higher authority that contravenes God's law. Second, they need to protect the people, the freedom, their freedom and their property of those who are living under their um, jurisdiction from the unjust immoral actions of the higher magistrate. And thirdly, they are not to implement any laws by the higher authority that violates God's word. In other words, they need to take a stand against wickedness when they come across it in the social in the social political arena. And so the law of God is our objective standard. That is what we use to decide if a, an authority is being tyrannical, tyrannical or not. That's how we know if a law or a people or a person or a leader is unjust or immoral. is by looking at God's word and God's law. One friend of mine always says, do you think God gave good laws or bad laws to his people? It's pretty obvious the answer to that. So the disobedience uh, of the lesser magistrate is not subjective. We have a standard by which we measure it. Right? And the only time it's allowed to take action is when there's a contravention against the law of God. And so this idea of the rule of law that he's supposed to uphold basically just simply means that the law is king. In other words, everybody is subject to the laws of the land. The king is, the commoner is, the president is, the gardener is, the street sweeper is. Everybody is equal under the law. And Christian men formalized God's moral law and for 1500 years in Western civilization, God's law was the basis for civil law. 
Unfortunately, the rule of law is crumbling in South Africa. We see our society collapsing as we see we move away from God's law and His rule in our lives. And during COVID, uh, we, were, we had a great opportunity uh, for godly lesser magistrates to stand in the gap because we had um, terrible rules that were imposed upon us and we needed the civil magistrate, the lesser magistrate, to stand up and say something. We needed them to defy the bad laws. Now, when you do this kind of thing, the person who takes a stand for righteousness and truth, they're often accused by the higher government or the higher authority of anarchy or wanting to destroy the rule of law. But in reality, they are the ones defending it. You might remember that in KwaZulu-Natal there was chaos in the province and some of the chaos went up into Gauteng, I believe, um, rampaging, looting, burning of buildings, absolute, absolute chaos. It, it was so um, massive that it's knocked a couple of points off the whole GDP of our country, uh, the gross domestic product. It, it's just uh, catastrophic what went on in KZN. And I've got a friend who, with other young men, quickly constituted themselves, armed themselves, and stood guard to protect their neighborhood. Well, theirs was the only area, the only neighborhood in their greater area, the only one that wasn't ransacked. Nothing but. Nobody came in to cause trouble in their area. What do you think happened? They were told by the higher authority that they are an illegal group of people and that they must disband them immediately. Do you think the higher magistrate put any effort into catching the looters, the murderers, the thugs, the arsonists? No. They came to the good guys who were protecting the area and told them that they're illegal and that they must disband them. That is what tyranny is. When tyranny presents itself, almost, the, the, shall I say, the lesser magistrate often uh, does not take a stand. Uh, sometimes they resist, other times they don't. But generally, the majority go along with the tyranny. They're too scared to take a stand for righteousness and truth. The high authority likes to be obeyed. He doesn't like anybody saying no to his decrees or to his laws. And the lesser magistrate and the people must understand that when they interpose against unjust laws, there's going to be a fight. No higher authority in civil government just takes it lying down. People say, no, we are not going to obey your evil laws. They like to malign the reputation of those who take a stand against them. You could end up in prison or abused in some fashion by the higher authority. I was at a meeting of 270 pastors, mainly black pastors, in Pretoria a couple of weeks ago, a few months ago, and the leader of the group, Advocate Mo Africa, uh, was telling us that any pastor that takes a stand against government will find his name in the newspapers and on radio with the accusation of sexual misconduct. He said they control the airwaves, they control the TV, the news, they control everything. As far as the propaganda machine goes, 
And he says, when he sees one of his fellow pastors being accused of sexual conduct, he phones them and says to them, what did you do now to upset the government? And you can just imagine the trouble this causes, first of all, in the church. It's just lies. It's just propaganda. It's just lies to because they don't like being told that they're wrong. They don't like to be told by pastors that their laws are illegal, immoral, and unjust or sinful. And so um, they're not going to take this lying down. But you can imagine the trouble it causes in the, in the church, the local congregation, uh, the trouble it causes in the family of the pastor. Devastation from the lies because they were standing for righteousness and truth. So this is, this is the kind of thing that you can expect. A group called Pastors Against Church Closures. They took a stand against government on the closures of churches in South Africa. And they realized that this is not an idea of glory, of you getting all the praise for what you're doing. You do it because it's the right thing in the sight of God. And so some of these pastors were uh, given lots of trouble at their work. One pastor ended up on the news speaking out against the government and particularly the state president for um, closing churches in South Africa. And his um, employers saw this on the news and he got into trouble at work. And they wanted to um, they lay charges against him. And can you believe it? According to employment law in South Africa, apparently I didn't know this, your employer can control what you say publicly outside of your working hours and outside of your working premises. Who would have thought? That's also tyranny, but never mind. So, the role of the people in applying the lesser magistrate's doctrine is to protest before the lesser magistrate. In other words, we need to go protest before the lesser magistrate. We need to rally behind him and get him to take a stand. And often, the lesser magistrate, the lower person in government, won't act until he knows he's going to get support from the Christian population or from people that will stand by him as he goes to plead their case. Um, and he's not going to just do it by himself. And so often we need to help them, we need to support them, and we need to stand by them when they take a stand against the wickedness. In the future, we're going to ask ourselves, will the lesser magistrate merely squabble with government um, or the higher authority over whatever the dispute or the issue is, or will they be resolute in their stand against oppression and abuse of power? Well, they're not going to do anything unless we encourage them and we take a stand and we rally behind them. Presently, not only is the law of God being contravened regarding abortion on the murder of the innocent in South Africa, on the issue of homosexual marriages, the Bible tells us if anyone will not work, then he shall, he'll also won't eat, but the government creates a society where you don't have to work and you can still eat. The Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman, and the government says, no, a man can marry a man and a woman a woman. The Bible says that our first fruits of our increase, in other words, what we earn, the first fruits need to go to the Lord. No, the government takes your first fruits, you get the leftovers, and so does the Lord. The Bible says that you shall not commit adultery, but the government says, no, adultery is not a crime. That's old, that's ancient. It's not a crime to commit adultery now. And America's founders were known to say, disobedience to tyrants 
is obedience to God. Now, this taking a stand against the wicked is showing your obedience to God and His Word. Now, many people, if you've never heard this doctrine before, will say, but this, this is outrageous. Uh, what about Romans 13? And we're not going to read the whole of Romans 13 um, this evening. But if you do read it, you can have a, a look at it and you'll see that this passage does talk about obeying the authorities. But there are conditions or there are limits to the ruler's authorities. And these are called limitation clauses. And these are in Romans 13, which was written by the Apostle Paul. So in verse 3 and verse 4, when you get to read it, it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So, there are limitation clauses, the scriptures are plain, the ruler's authority is not unlimited. He's to reward those who do good, and he's supposed to punish those who do evil. That is what is expected of the civil authority. But what happens when the ruler, or the civil authority, punishes those who do good? And what happens if they reward those who do evil? Should they still be obeyed? Under those circumstances? When the state commands that which God forbids, or forbids that which God commands, we are to obey God rather than man. The first verse of Romans 13 declares, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So the authority that the civil government possesses is delegated by God. You don't get your authority, as I mentioned earlier, even in the church or in the home. You don't get it in a vacuum. The authority comes from God. It's delegated authority from God. And in verse 4, it states that the authorities are God's ministers. And if they're God's ministers, then they need to rule according to God's law and His word. So... Most of us, probably all of us, will agree that when a father makes an unjust or immoral law at home, or a rule for the house, that those under his jurisdiction don't have to obey it. I was sitting at a friend's house uh, one evening, and he and his wife came home from the Bible study. In fact, it was on relationships. And so the young daughter, who's a very bright young girl, said to her mother, how was the Bible study? And the mother said, that was fantastic. She said to her mother, what did you learn this evening, mom? She said, I learned this evening that I need to obey your father. Ah, the young lady said to her mother, if daddy tells you that you need to rob a bank with him, do you need to still obey him? And the mother thought about this for a while and said, yes. Now, we all know that that's not Right. All right. If the father is telling you to do something that's against God's law, then the father is acting outside 
of his authority given by God and outside of his biblical jurisdiction. Similarly, in a church, if a pastor is acting unjustly in a church, then we would not obey him. Right? When it comes to the civil government, however, then for some rhyme or reason, Christians seem to think they've got a free hand and can do whatever they want. But they seem to think so themselves. Back to family government, in Colossians 3 verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Right? So here there's a command. It says that children are to obey in all things. There's no limitations clause here that limits the parents' authority. Um, there's no clause that stops the, uh, the child's uh, obedience. They can they, they obey under all circumstances according to this verse. Yet, no one takes the parents' authority as being limitless. In other words, when we look at scripture like this, we need to understand and take it in context. Okay? Obviously, children must obey their parents. It's just not saying here that if the parents is telling you to do something sinful, you don't have to do it, because we find that in the context of other scriptures, the scripture has to interpret scripture. And so, uh, when we look at this, we're saying that there is limits to the parent's authority. You can't tell your child to go rob a bank. Um, that's not according to God's word. Well, here are a couple of examples of uh, scripture where people took a stand against tyranny, they stood in the gap uh, on behalf of the righteous. In Exodus 1, you read about Pharaoh, who ordered all male Hebrew babies to be killed, and the midwives refused, point blank. So they interposed on behalf of the helpless babies. They did not let Pharaoh kill the babies, they uh, hid the babies away. 1 Samuel 14, we come across King Saul. He made a foolish law while he was out at war. He said nobody was allowed to eat any food on the battlefield until he had taken revenge of his enemies. And his own son, Jonathan, who didn't know about his dad's foolish rule or law, ate some honey. And so Saul was going to kill his son. But the people came to Jonathan's defense, and they stood up against the king to protect the king's own son. And the Bible says the people rescued Jonathan. In other words, the people said to the king, no, you're not going to put somebody to death for this law. Never mind your own son. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were appointees in, in high office in Babylon. They were refusing to worship the golden statue, and so they were thrown into the fiery furnace. The higher magistrates like to be obeyed. They don't like people standing against them. Daniel was a governor under King Darius, and his subjects were ordered by the royal statute not to pray. Any of you who know your Bibles will remember that Daniel opened his windows when he knelt down to pray so that everybody could see him. If I remember correctly, he did it three times in a day just to make sure that everybody who walked past wouldn't miss the occasion. And so there he was 
He is honoring God. He is remaining obedient to the Lord as an individual and as a lesser magistrate uh, in King Darius's realm. A Canaanite woman, Rahab, who was a prostitute in Joshua chapter 2, she, before the conquest of Canaan, Joshua sent two men as spies into the land, and she helped Joshua's men against her own wicked king, uh, helped them escape, and then it appears that she sent the wicked king on a wild goose chase uh, regarding these men. In Acts 5, verse 29, the local authorities um, were telling the apostles, including Peter, that they weren't allowed to preach the gospel anymore. And the answer was, we must obey God rather than men. If you'd like to find out more about the subject, this is a great book. There are some copies uh, available uh, here. The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, that's where the information comes from that I'm sharing with you today. Um, I'd like to give you a little bit more background on the Pastors Against Church Closures. In fact, one of the uh, uh, deputy chairman uh, of the Western Capes uh, Young Children are with us here um, this evening, and they're attending the Biblical World Year Summit. So it's uh, the dad and mom almost in tears seeing them going away for a week. Clan. So this organization started off to take a stand against the government's closure of churches during COVID. And the Bible doesn't give the state the authority to suspend the functioning of Christ's uh, rule over his church or how the believers uh, can or will worship him. It's got nothing to do with the state. And so if we look at the Bible and we look at the commands to the church in the Bible, we are commanded by the Lord to observe the Sabbath rest and to keep it holy. We are to gather around the word and receive communion, the Bible tells us. We are commanded not to give up meeting together. We are commanded to make disciples of all nations, teaching and baptizing them. We are told to lay hands on and send out missionaries in Acts 13. The elders of the church are to pray over and anoint the sick with oil. We are required to sing together, to greet one another, to bear one another's burdens, and exercise church discipline. Almost all of these can't be carried out over a computer screen. Church leaders have no right to flee or to abandon their posts just because times are tough. They have a responsibility to stand strong, to remain steadfast. And that's exactly what this group, Pastors Against Church Closures, was doing. The government in South Africa even went as far as stopping and interfering with Christians, NGOs, missionaries, feeding suffering people in South Africa. They passed a law or a rule by the COVID National Coronavirus Command Council, however they imposed laws and made up laws. Um, they just said, we're not allowed to feed people anymore. And so um, this issue had to go to the High Court and the High Court ordered the government to allow people to be fed by the NGOs or by the Christian missionaries and by churches. I mean, does, you can't even make these things up. But these criminals in power didn't want people to eat. 
So these leaders, um, they were ministering to the families of those who passed away. They were going through tough times. And then when they would have to go to funerals and help and go pray for and stand by a bereaved family, what help would they get? No, they wouldn't. They'd be arrested by the police at roadblocks because they didn't have a permit. Churches and pastors were not recognized as essential, and so they were arrested. What we did was we issued ourselves with permits on the letterhead of our trust that works out in the in a squatter camp, we uh, on, uh, in uh, a tin shack area, we issued ourselves with permits and gave, gave ourselves authority. And so if we were ever stopped by the police, we showed them our permits that we gave ourselves with our stamps on and everything, and we just carried on doing the work. And obviously we wouldn't obey such a stupid law that told us that we could, that we must stop feeding these people that are suffering in the township. What a lot of nonsense. Meanwhile, the government had these double standards. So here they're saying that the churches have to be empty. Nobody's allowed to go to church. You've got to be very good. Don't go to church. And, um, but yet they had double standards when they did this. So while the Christians couldn't go to church, and then at one stage they started limiting them to 50 people in a church, the minibus taxis could operate at 100% capacity, including driving for days and nights over long distances. All shopping centers remained permanently open during business hours. And you could go into a shopping center in midsummer and breathe in the recycled air, but you weren't allowed on the beach either. Goodness knows who made up these laws. Uh, casinos were open, and the betting customers could carry on till late in the night. The mines were operating, airlines were processing travelers, but oh, the Christians are not allowed to meet. So, amongst all this chaos, the churches were only allowed 50 people at a service, and they were accused of being super-spreaders. I also read an article that said Muslims were super-spreaders. And then I read an article that said, actually, the real super-spreaders are the rich kids who, who, who go on their dad's boats on the Neisner Lagoon. Oh, goodness gracious me. I mean, honestly. If the, this is the kind of reporting we have in South Africa. I mean, where, where do these people come from? Who trains them? Well, most of the pastors pointed out that they only had people in their churches for about three hours per week. Some of the churches could see 2,000 people, but now they were allowed 100 or a little bit later, uh, sorry, 50 and a little bit later, 100 attendees in a 2,000-seater. And so we had more challenges in our communities. The South African police were particularly brutal in responding to the churches, while everybody else could do their thing. And the pastors, uh, all these pastors that, that were so-called breaking the COVID rules. And so the pastors pointed out uh, that these lockdown laws are completely immoral, they're unethical, by, way, by violating God's commands, they're also sinful. And so they took a stand against this. Um, on at least two instances in South Africa, police used rubber bullets, stun grenades, and violence, foul language um, when they dealt with churchgoers. Just absolutely crazy. The headlines tell the stories. Um, one said congregants arrested for violating lockdown regulations. Chabola, uh, church pastor, wife arrested for conducting church service during lockdown. Uh, just, just craziness. 
a very well-known pastor in the black community, Pastor Mahuba. Um, she was arrested also um, when having a church service. And, and she made some comments in the press. I'm just going to just mention some of the things she says. She says you get shot at while holding up your hands, obviously with rubber bullets. They drive recklessly to injure you in their van. So they take her, put in the back of the van, they drive recklessly. We call it a roofie ride. They put the person they arrest in the back and then they bump over the pavements and bash them around and falling around, bashing their heads on all the metal in the back of the vehicle. She carries on. She says, then they assault your right at the police station. They throw you into the cells without telling you why you've been arrested. Then they cook up charges later on. They claim that you assaulted them. They're just lying. And she says, in her case, she was kneeling down, falling upon God to save her. But they, the police said that she was assaulting them. They then released some media statements of lies and they influenced everyone to blame you. This is the pastor carrying on with the comments. They turned the police, who are supposed to defend you against you with lies, saying that you wanted, that you wanted to kill them. What nonsense. The Christians weren't even armed. They take things out of context, then they influence the weak-minded. The whole thing was unfolding like a movie, she says. But gullible people still believe the lies without checking the facts. As I mentioned earlier, when the government says that you've been involved in sexual misconduct, ah, well, that's it. They control the media, they can say whatever they want. And so we took uh, part in a, a march to Parliament uh, with this group of pastors. They did a fantastic job in standing for righteousness and truth. They uh, were on the news and in the newspapers and they were well reported and God bless each one of them for taking a stand for righteousness and truth. 